Thanks, Bob. Good morning, everybody. We're going to look at that passage uh, today. Um, if, if you weren't um, here earlier when, when Joe did the announcement, she just did share with everyone that um, Sue's funeral is tomorrow and um, in Deception Bay at 1 o'clock, and there is plenty of space um, available. Emily said to let everybody know, so if you would like to come, just, just see Joe after she can give you the address. Um, and there is an option to live stream as, as well, but yeah, there'll be... Yeah, great celebration uh, tomorrow, for, especially for Emily and her family, and yeah, just just celebrating Sue's life. And um, so, we, yeah, we're going to have a look at this this passage on um, and and a parable. And we haven't actually had um, parables recently. We've been we had a lot of parables in Matthew's gospel earlier in in chapter thirteen, um, and there'll be a few more coming up soon in, in next next year as we keep going through this. Um, we're actually getting pretty close to the end of this section uh, for this year. Uh, around this idea of Jesus um, being the Messiah, but being a, a servant. And even next week, we'll see in, the, in this, the rest of this chapter, he literally says that he's come not to be served, but to serve. Um, but this parable is interesting and um, actually kind of builds on a message from a couple of weeks ago, which we talked about money and this story of the rich young ruler and an interaction that, that Jesus had. Um, and the story is really about frustration and expectations and how... Uh, expectations um, of God may not um, be fulfilled because we might have the wrong expectations compared to the kingdom. And I was trying to think of like, how do I introduce this message to today? Like I was trying to think of a story where I've been frustrated because of my expectations or something. And then I thought, well, this week, I've actually just been pretty frustrated at this parable of Jesus. Um, and that, that why isn't Jesus clearer? Like, like it, it's confusing and... and um, yeah, cryptic, and, and I have found that frustrating because what, what do you mean? Um, why can't you just say it clearly? And, and it's interesting because it's also a matter of expectations. It's that we expect teaching to be clear. And, and in many ways, what I'm trying to do this morning is bring clarity to this passage. But that doesn't seem to be the priority for Jesus in his teaching. He actually doesn't say clarity and, and simplicity, that is not the main priority for Jesus. In fact, he speaks in parables um, as an actually a way to hijack people's expectations and in some ways put off people who are not willing to listen and, and to grapple. And a parable is not actually designed necessarily to simplify something. As we looked at, um, when we looked at Jesus' parables, in some ways the parables are designed to, to offend people and push people away who are not serious. Because a parable it means you have to listen carefully, you have to enter into what is Jesus saying. And if you do, if you have ears to hear, like he says, he's actually revealing secrets of the kingdom. But it's not necessarily simplifying it, it's actually inviting you in to wrestle with it and actually let your expectations be totally challenged. And even the medium and the method of how he presents hijacks our expectations, because uh, he doesn't necessarily present things clearly. So we're going to look at this, this parable and... Um, the context of it in Matthew is really important. And uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the short um, summary is this, this rich man came to Jesus wanting to follow him and there was an interaction. Ultimately, Jesus told him to leave his wealth, <clears throat> to give it to the poor and follow him. And the man goes away sad. Uh, but then afterwards, Peter uh, talks about how he has given up everything to follow Jesus and what sort of reward will he get. And we're just going to look at that passage Again, because it kind of flows into what we're looking at today. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? He's kind of asking, What compensation, what reward, what will we get, Jesus? Because we have followed you. The rich man didn't, but we have. 
And Jesus says, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And we talked about this and how Jesus is, is saying, actually, yes, you might need to leave things. Yes, Jesus might tell you to leave everything, but in the end, it will work out better. Uh, the, the cost benefit will always be better to follow Jesus. There, there will be reward is what he's saying. Um, he talks about a hundred time reward, but then he says, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And again, it's like, what does that mean? It's this cryptic phrase that Jesus puts in to qualify what he said to Peter. Yes, Peter, there'll be rewards, but just check yourself. It's not going to be what you think. And then he goes on and basically says, let me tell you a story, Peter, and starts to tell this parable. So this parable is in the context of this response to Peter, and we'll see because the parable also ends with this cryptic phrase again to emphasize this kind of bookend, which which we saw just before when, when Bob read it out. So Jesus starts to tell a story. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard. I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and three in the afternoon and he did the same thing. After about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. So when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So this story is in the context quite normal until it gets to the end. Um, That this was a normal practice that people would be day laborers, They would go to the marketplace, they would wait for someone to give them work for the day, they would get paid on that day, they would go buy food, that's how they would survive. So these people are actually quite um, vulnerable, Um, even those who got work in the start. It's still, if they don't get work that day, they probably won't eat. This is just um, the situation of some people. And this landowner seems to have a lot of work to do. Uh, Maybe it's harvest time, and he just keeps going back to get more and more workers. He agrees with a price for the first ones, And to all the others, he says, I'll pay you what is fair. And then he just keeps bringing them in. And he even brings them in right at the end of the day, like like 5 p.m., like the last hour of the day, these these people who just maybe just enjoy a nice, cool sunset bit of work and then get paid. And the total upsetting thing and the surprise is that those who were hired at 5 in the afternoon received a full day's pay. And... The parable actually isn't really focused on this, this group, but we're going to start by just looking at this group because we can kind of imagine what their response would be. Um, already, they're probably grateful that they've been given work uh, because they've been just standing around all day, uh, not sure what's going to happen. And already, this landowner has been generous to them by giving them late work. Um, so at least they get something. They're probably assuming that they're not going to get a full day's pay. They'll get something, maybe enough to get a tiny bit of food, but probably not enough. But then all of a sudden he gives them the full amount. 
far more than they deserve for the work that they've done. And you, you may not, um, yeah, it doesn't say what this group is, but we can assume that they would be surprised, uh, assume that they would be incredibly grateful, um, assume that they would recognize that this is an act of generosity they've received. This is not a payment for work done that they've received. This is actually a lavish gift. And it means that they can eat. It means that they can, um, yeah, support their family. They would be incredibly grateful and joyful. And in many ways, I think we are to see ourselves, or one part of this parable is that we can see ourselves as these people, that we are the lucky latecomers. Got a bit of alliteration today. Um, so, and in many ways, Peter is this as well. Um, in many ways, Christianity is based on this idea of generosity and grace, not work. We know that. Um, and I think uh, this is true even of Peter, who even though maybe he's one of the first disciples, maybe he's given up everything to follow Jesus, but he's still a latecomer. Like he's not, he wasn't the first person you would pick. Uh, he wasn't with some other rabbi excelling in some school and Jesus picked the top. Like Jesus picked him as a fisherman, as someone that no other rabbi or teachers were, were picking. Peter is a recipient of grace right from the start. And then even throughout his life, and particularly when he stumbles, he has been given grace and generosity. And that is true of all of us. If we have come to know Jesus, if we're in the kingdom, it's because of generosity, it's because of grace, it's ultimately because of Jesus' sacrifice. And even if it's been that way for a long time, even if we've been believers from a young age, even if we maybe came into the kingdom before other people, actually we are all to see ourselves as these lucky latecomers who aren't getting paid for work done. We don't get rewarded or paid commensurate to our work for God. We don't pay to get into the kingdom. We actually just receive it as a gift of grace, which means we cannot boast. And even um, this parable even seem, could be hinting towards even what will happen after Jesus' resurrection when Gentiles will come in to the kingdom as latecomers. God's plan and God's work throughout most of the Bible, through most of the history, is through the Jewish people. If you want to be part of the people of God, you need to become a Jew. But then after Jesus' resurrection, Gentiles are welcomed in, full inclusion, don't have to become Jews. And unless there's anyone Jewish here, that's us. <laughs> we are the latecomers who've been welcomed in to the family of God by grace. It's interesting even just to think of ourselves, because sometimes we can think of Christianity just as, as the Western religion and, and the church is here for 2,000 years. But in, in God's plan of history, right, his work was through Israel and then all other nations by grace have been allowed to be a part of that. We are only a part of it because of grace. Um, and grace levels us. We don't deserve. It humbles us that we have to receive it. And the posture, I think, of these lucky latecomers and the posture that we want to have and are called to have in the kingdom is just simply a posture of being grateful for grace. That no matter how long we have been serving God, it's still we are here by grace. Everything is by grace. So it's gratitude for God's generosity. But there's a danger that we can start there under grace, but we can start to serve God, work for God, um, suffer for God, lose things like Peter's talking about, and start to feel a sense of entitlement or a sense of him owing us. And it's a, a tricky one because the Bible does talk about rewards. And Jesus is talking to Peter about rewards. Yes, Peter, you've lost things, but 
but there will be rewards. Uh, but there's a tension here that the rewards could start to breed entitlement or expectation, um, and that's what we see in this next group. From verse 8, it says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. They've done more work, they should get more pay. That makes sense. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who bore the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Again, these workers... um, it's the generosity still of the, the farmer, of the landowner that's given them work to start with, but they did have an agreement for a pay, a certain amount of pay. They did their day's work and they got paid for it, but there's people who did less work who got paid more. And this just seems totally unfair to them. And from a human point of view, from an employer relations, from business practice point of view, it's quite unfair. Uh, it's probably also doesn't seem like a very good business decision because everyone's going to want to start work at five o'clock the next day, right? They're like, no one's going to start at the start. Like, and, and so, like, because that, that's how human business and work relationships operate, right? You get paid for the work you do. If you do less work, you should get less pay. Otherwise, it just totally blows out of the system. It just doesn't work. And, and these workers expect this landowner to follow that requirement. So when he doesn't, they are frustrated and they are annoyed. But he responds, says, but he answered them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Even though they're grumbling against him, he still calls them friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Then he gives these rhetorical questions. Don't I have a right to do what I want with my money, my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? It's a pretty good stab, right, at these guys. And then Jesus brings this cryptic line again. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So the parable is an explanation of what he means by this, and this line comes when he's talking to Peter. Yes, there'll be rewards, but this. The last will be first, the first will be last. It's not what you expect, Peter. And this seems to be quite a subtle warning I think, to Peter, and even the fact that it's in a parable, it's, it's quite subtle in a sense, uh, of the danger of pride and comparison and expectations for Christian workers. Because Peter, probably after the rich young man walked away, uh, was feeling somewhat superior to him. The rich man couldn't give it up everything. Peter says, we've given up everything. What will we get for us? And in a similar way, Um, Peter might start to feel superior to other disciples because he was one of the first ones Jesus called. He's one of the leaders. He's one of the ones doing a lot of the work. He's he's working hard. So surely he should get more pay. Yes, there'll be rewards, but but his reward should be more than others. And Jesus seems to be warning against that, that don't expect the rewards to follow human expectations of rewards of work and payment that matches. That's not how the kingdom works. And those who expect that, those who develop pride and entitlement are going to be frustrated and grumble. 
because that's how the world operates. The world operates on merit and performance, labor and reward. Those who work longer should get paid more. Those who work less should be paid less. But the kingdom is something totally different. God's economy is something totally different. And if we expect it to be like we think, we will be frustrated. And this is the warning that we can become the frustrated workers. I think really this is, in many ways, is, is a key point of this parable. It's a, it's a subtle warning to be careful of this. It's easy to compare ourselves with others. When I, I remember this week when I was a kid, kids just do this so openly. Like when I was a kid, I had friends who'd say, well, you're good at bike riding, but I'm good at skateboarding. I'm better than you at this bit. You're good at this. And, and you sort of just rank everybody all the time and do it openly. But even as adults, we can still do that, compare think, well, I've got this on this person, they've got this on me, or I kind of stand here, they kind of stand here, and then kind of expect that everyone will honor that and that that will be fulfilled. And, and we kind of operate like that quite naturally. But, and we might even operate like that in the church. We might start to think, if you've been a Christian longer than somebody else, there's a sense of superiority. Maybe if you've been serving God since you were young and someone only just came in at old age, you you definitely got some runs on the board more than them and you're kind of further up the scale than them. If you are working really hard for, for God and you're sacrificing things and you're suffering and it's a hard battle and someone else has an easy ride, well, you, surely you're in a better position than, than them. Like, it's a subtle human thing that then we could start to, to pridefully think that we are entitled to certain things from God more than others. Whereas the kingdom, as shown in this parable, just doesn't operate like that. Actually, all these workers are treated equal. Actually, the rewards are not based on merit, but based on grace, are based on generosity. And this is how the kingdom works. Just because someone's been a Christian their whole life and someone comes in late in life, they're not at a lower position. Everyone's in a position of grace. And the rewards that we received are not going to be based on merit, but based on grace and generosity. And there's going to be surprises with how they're admitted. So actually, we have to stay in this place of being the lucky latecomers, not turn into the entitled, frustrated first workers. And that's really what this is a warning against, is prideful entitlement. And I think it's a subtle warning to Peter, and it's a subtle warning for those who do sacrifice for Jesus. Remember, the rich young man couldn't give it up. But Peter has, and sometimes we might have to. But then the battle will be not becoming proud because of that and thinking that we're better than others or that we deserve more from God because of that. Actually, we are all recipients of grace. And if we give things up, it's in response to God's grace. It's not to earn anything from him. So this is a, a danger that we need to be aware of. But really, I think this parable primarily is about the landowner. He is the star of the show. He is the focus. There's these two groups, and we can sort of pick um, where we might tend to fit with them. But really, it's this landowner that's the focus and his incredible generosity in that he just keeps going out and getting more and more workers. He, just, he wants people to come. And then even when people complain, he, he just pushes back, even with generosity, even with grace towards them. And he says that he is fair. He does not pay people less than they deserve, but... He is generous, and he can do what he wants with his money. And what this landowner wants to do, who's obviously a picture of God's heart and Jesus' heart, is he wants to give generously to these people that other people think don't deserve it. That's what this landowner 
is like. And I think this, again, could be a subtle rebuke to Peter. Um, because it's interesting, right? Like Jesus says in this interaction just before this, so let's have a look at this. Jesus said to this young, rich young man um, in the chapter before, he said, if you want to be perfect, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Obviously, we said this, the issue with this man is that he worshipped money. He needed to confront that idol. But then the, the heart that he is to have is to have a heart of generosity to the poor, to give to the poor, which is a way to have treasures in heaven, which, which is like to access the life of heaven, and there will be rewards in heaven it's looking towards as well, and then follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus calls this guy to do. Peter then talks about what he's given up. But it's interesting that Peter doesn't actually talk about how much he's given to the poor. Right? Like, like he's had to sacrifice things, but he's not actually talking from a heart of generosity necessarily. He's talking from a heart of, yes, we've had to leave these things, but what do we get? But I think what, what um, we see in this, this father's heart in, the, in this parable is just his heart of generosity. And it's so interesting, just this word particularly, that Jesus says to the rich ruler, if you want to be perfect, this is what you are to do. Now, obviously, the key is to follow Jesus and by grace, grow to be a person of love and generosity. But this word perfect kind of harks back to something Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, because he talks about being perfect like the Father is perfect. And again, it's in the context of generosity. So I'm just going to read this passage out. From Matthew 5.43, Jesus speaking says, You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. What in this passage and in Jesus' encouragement and this parable is the defining characteristic of the Father that makes him perfect, in that he loves everybody, particularly people who don't deserve it. That's what God is like. That's how the kingdom operates, particularly towards those that the world thinks don't deserve it, particularly to those who are least and last that have been rejected. And the call um, of this parable and of Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount is that we are actually to become like this lavish landowner. Because it's easy kind of to look at this parable and it just seems crazy, right? Like, yes, he can do that. He can... He can give that money to the people who worked short hours if he wants to, but I wouldn't do that. Like, but the call is, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is why it's a challenge to Peter. Jesus is saying, well, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, it actually looks like this. It actually looks like generosity to the poor. It actually looks like generosity to the least, because that's what God is like. And actually, that's who we're called to be like. Um, and this generosity is, is lavish. And again, Christianity and Jesus teaching on loving enemies sounds like a high ideal, but it's not actually being presented like that. It's actually being presented as that's God's kingdom. That's actually expected in God's kingdom. Love for enemies is not like a higher rung. It's like 
if you want to be like the Father, that's what you have to do. If you, if you want to represent the Father, you have to be generous to people who don't deserve it. That's really what the parable is saying. And there's even an interesting play in this parable um, because he, the, the landowner agrees to pay um, the, the first workers a day's wage, which was a standard amount, but then to the latecomers, he says, I'll pay you what is fair. But that word actually means just. I'll pay you a just amount. I'll pay you a fair amount. Because we might say that the amount that he decides to pay them is lavish and generous, and it is generous, but it's also just. And the point is that in the kingdom, it's just to be generous. <laughs> like, it's not an option. It's actually required. Um, and particularly in this case, if you think about the context, these last workers, yes, they didn't work a full day, but if they don't get paid a full day, they're not going to eat. These are the people no one else wanted to employ for the day. It doesn't say why that is the case, um, but it's probably just because they're the kind of marginalized, oppressed, maybe not very capable, maybe, maybe sick um, workers that nobody wants. Um, and if no one pays them a full day, they're not going to be able to feed their family. So this is actually an issue of justice. And it, it looks like this lavish act of generosity, which it is, again, but it actually is meeting people's needs. And um, this is what I feel challenged on, is that, that biblically, generosity to the poor is actually not an optional extra. It's a requirement of justice. We might say, well, we don't oppress the poor, but biblically, if you're not giving to them, you're actually hurting them. It's actually wrong. Um, to give to those who don't, Help, can't help themselves, even in a way that might seem unfair, even to people who may seem deserving, in the kingdom is fair, is just. It's generous, but it's just. Likewise, we can think that Jesus' commands to love enemies sound great if you can do it, sound, sound awesome, ideal to kind of work towards. But this is a command of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which means to not love an enemy is sin. It's actually wrong. It's actually to fall short. It's to do wrong. To not help the poor is to do wrong. Tim Keller, this is a sort of paraphrase of one of his quotes, puts it this way. Biblical justice is concerned for the most vulnerable, poor, and marginalized members of our society and making long-term personal sacrifices in order to serve their interests, needs, and cause. That's what God's heart is. That's the biblical narrative of what justice looks like. That's what fairness looks like. Right? These first workers think, this is totally unfair. They got paid more and they did less. But God says, no, fairness looks like these people who have a need, having their need met by those who can meet it. And he generously meets it. And this is what we are called to, to reflect God's generous love to all, to grow in being like this lavish landowner because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what Jesus is like. This is what God is like. So if we want to be a part of it, that's, it looks like growing more and more to be like this. Not entitled, not prideful, and even not just celebrating grace for ourselves, but actually making sure that other people who are undeserving or in need are supported and, and have what they need. This is totally different to God. The world system, which is based on, on merit and pride and achievement, this is the kingdom system, which is based on generosity and grace, but and justice towards humble people, towards weak people, towards the outcasts, 
towards the sinners. And the whole point of this is that that just totally flips the world system upside down, which is what Jesus is saying. The last will be first, and the first will be last. The kingdom operates differently. Not the top, the top are not preferenced. Actually, those who the world puts on the bottom are preferenced because those are the people in need, and God's heart is towards those who are in need. God's heart is towards the vulnerable. God's heart is towards the broken, and he lifts them up. So those who lift themselves up in pride actually find themselves opposed by God and at the end. And those who humble themselves and receive his grace and, and serve in his kingdom from a place of grace are elevated. This is an encouragement towards humility, to embracing weakness and service, and it's an invitation to, to follow the Father with this heart of generosity. And as we'll, we'll look at next week, um, where Jesus talks about the greatest being the one who serves in the kingdom, if, if you seem to be on top, or like Peter, if you're first, if you have a position, it means that you have greater responsibility to serve those who are in need, those who are weak. It's not a self-congratulation thing. It's, it's an invitation to humility and service. I think this parable is a warning against pride, thinking that our expectations of how God should operate according to the world will be according to the kingdom. Because if we expect that, we will end up frustrated. But ultimately, it's an invitation to worship this generous and gracious God. And as we worship him, as we celebrate him, actually become more like him, as we seek to represent his kingdom and see it come on earth as it is in heaven. So that's kind of my take on this parable as, again, I've wrestled with it a bit this week and I encourage you to read it and, and, and to wrestle with it as well because the idea is that Jesus tells a story that's meant to get in our head and kind of bug us and make us listen to it and let it totally hijack our way of seeing things and it's totally hijacked my way that this, this, this landowner is not just doing some amazing act, even though he is, but he's doing something that that is the kingdom, that is justice in the kingdom. That's what we're called to. So as we respond today, we're going to take communion and just going to give you some time to, to reflect, um, to pray. And as you feel ready, you can take the, the, the cup um, representing Jesus' generous blood that, that satisfied the demands of justice for us who are undeserving and, and Jesus' body, the broken, and who didn't just give um, wealth but gave his whole life for us who are poor weak, broken sinners. And um, as you respond, there's just a few prompts for you to have a look at here. In, re in response to today, gratitude for God's sufficient grace in Jesus, you might like just to pray into that. Maybe there's a need to repent of any prideful entitlement or frustration. Just think about maybe what are the sort of things that have been coming out of your mouth this week? Are they praises or are they complaints? And are they frustrations at other people? And we need to repent and we need to pray to become like the Father, to be abundant in generosity and love towards all. And I think with this morning, maybe we could just spend a moment to pray for the poor, vulnerable, marginalized in our society and in our world, because there's, there's many. Um, so I'm just going to give you some time. I think Matt's just going to play, and yeah, yeah, feel free. Just, let's just have this time with the Lord.